Thank you, Kevin. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, too. And uh, good morning, church family. Good morning. A story has been told of a church which was severely humbled. Imagine a church with 500 people attending, which had many outreach ministries reaching their community, which had many people coming to Christ and coming to church. Sounds good so far, right? But the church was never growing in numbers. People were leaving as quickly as they were coming in. This church realized that the majority who left were not attending another church, they just stopped attending church altogether. They realized that because of their inability to hold people, they were actually de-evangelizing their neighborhood because those who were leaving were almost impossible to bring back to any community of faith. The senior pastor realized that something had to be done so he invited the last 12 people baptized in the church to come over to his house for dinner. And they were excited to be invited. After dinner, he asked if they wanted to know the future. They all said, yes. So he said, statistically speaking, in the next two to three years, two of your marriages will have broken up, and the shame will cause you to leave the church. Three of you will have a conflict with someone in the church, and you will leave the church. One will have a tragedy and lose faith and leave. Two will have a moral failing and leave. And two will lose interest and drift away. In two to three years, out of this group of 12, only two of you will be attending church and only one of you at this church. There was dead silence in the room. Finally, one of them said, what can we do to change these statistics? The pastor said, as a group of believers... Decide that you are not going to let anyone go. That is exactly what they did. This mixed group of people became a small group and supported each other through the tragedies, through the marriage problems, conflicts, and failings. And in four years, only one had left the church. And they pray for her to this day. That church went from losing 10 out of 12 new believers to losing only one out of 12. That church learned that Christianity was never an individual thing. They learned that strong relationships, community, and commitment of the church are indeed the family that we need. And you'll see that as our title today, the family that we need. If you didn't get a bulletin, raise your hand, and Chris will give you one, and you'll see that on the top of the sermon notes. Got a couple here. If those help you follow along. We're going to talk about this today. There is no better environment for being the family that we need in a, ch in a church our size than a small group. And our small groups kick off this week officially. And we are in for a fantastic movement this fall, I do believe. So we're going to look at some of the many scriptures today which teach our church uh, is a family that Jesus bought, purchased with his broken body and shed blood. And gives us instructions how to follow Jesus in thriving relationships that we need. You see, here's what I've learned. I was a small groups pastor for 15 years and just studied the, the scriptures on the community aspect of the Christian faith. And I learned a lot of things. Uh, one of those things is that in a house church, has anybody ever been a part of a house church before? Raise your hand. All right, not a lot. Just imagine you've got a church that meets in a house and it's 20, 30 people in a house church, you have the sense of you're, you're always eating together, that you know the kids, the kids get to see 
uh, get to be with the adults. It's intergenerational. Uh, it includes a lot of eating together, like Kevin said. Um, it includes uh, everything you do in service. You're doing all together. You've got a lot of advantages in a house church, but once you get bigger than a church, uh, than, a, than a house can hold, you've got this phenomenon where church just becomes meeting for an hour on Sunday morning, sitting side by side, and not doing all of those things. And you lose out on what I think is two-thirds of Christianity. Let me explain. Well, I'll, I'll actually come back to that in a minute. Um, I've got another picture I want to show before I show that picture. You've got to be in the Christian community of a family. And so any church that grows bigger than a house church, uh, that's why we have smaller groups, smaller communities, so that you don't miss that part of Christianity. Now, we've got some people that are fired up about their small group, like Kevin, looking forward to it, getting ready for it. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there are some, though, here who don't know the need for them to participate in such a thing. So I want to speak to all of you today. Maybe you just don't see how these regular get-togethers as a church family uh, can possibly add enough value of your life to make that happen. So I want, I want us to see in the Bible today that what God says about his community, what we're hoping to bring in to community grace through and through. Everybody gets to participate on this. Nobody misses out. Especially in this fall sermon in small group series, and I want to just mention it now. I'm going to say a little bit more about it later. Obviously, you see all the red. I didn't even need to put the picture up here. Thank you, everybody, for putting the banners together. There's more coming for next week when it actually kicks off. Uh, this is our fall series, and we're going to start... Uh, we're going to start the ministry year with, a, with an amazing journey. Again, I'll, I'll say more about that at the end of my message today. But right now, to set it all up, we're going to open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12, uh, where the reading of the Word was already from this morning. So if you haven't opened your Bibles or turned on your Bibles yet, would you, would you do so to Romans chapter 12? It's just one of the many, many scriptures that give us a glimpse into the kind of community, the kind of family that Jesus created from the beginning with his church. Before we jump into the riches of this passage, let me go back to that other picture that I said I had up here and show you three. I see Christianity. I've learned this has really helped me uh, understand the Christian life and explain it as well. I see the Christian life in three basic circles. You've got the circle of the corporate gatherings. That's what we're doing right now. And this is critical, the preaching of the word, the corporate singing and prayer and communion and baptism, essential to the Christian faith, huge exciting part of the Christian life. But to think that that's all, oh man, just read the word of God. It's not even close to all there is to the Christian life. The other, another big part of it is family, is the community. There are 43 one another's in, in scripture, if you've ever done a study of those, love one another and forgive one another and bear each other's burdens and all of those. And we're going to talk about some of those today. Uh, eating together, uh, being with each other out in the community. Um, that's what we are focusing on today, those relational aspects of the Christian life. And then, and then the other third is the mission. We can never forget that our whole lives, like we just had a sermon series, that we are all sent ones into the world, all the nations. And you see a lot of overlap among those three. They all uh, filter into each other. And that's a healthy picture of, a, of the Christian life right there. So we're going to focus on that second circle today, mostly the relational aspect, and I just want to make sure that, that nobody that's a part of this church 
is missing out on what Jesus, again, bought and paid for with his blood for his purposes in the world and for your good, your best good, and the greatest witness in the world. So, now let's look at Romans chapter 12. And as we come into chapter 12, you see a big shift in the book. And I'm going to explain that massive shift. If you've ever read Romans, it is a masterpiece theological book. Uh, The Apostle Paul's longest uh, letter, which became a book of the Bible, 16 chapters. But right in chapter 12, verse 1, you see this big shift. Like the Apostle Paul usually does in the 13 books of the New Testament that he wrote, about the first half is these deep theological truths of who we are in Christ. You can just pick up the first half of any of Paul's books for, for a theology class. You just, it's just the glories and riches of Christ and how we have them. Then about halfway through the book, he shifts to explaining, now what, what do we do? And he gives all kinds of imperatives, commands, instructions, what to do about all this all these unparalleled riches that we've received from the incomparable Christ by God's rich grace and purposes. Here are now the wonderful things that we get to do in light of all that. And in Romans, that begins at chapter 12, verse 1. And so before I get jump to, chapter, to verses 9 through 15, our main text of the day, I want to start with Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Well-known verses, but let's see how they fit into this context today. We're going to see in in verse 1 and verse 2, Paul says, give your bodies to God and give your minds to God. Let's see how all this connects. Verse 1, therefore, in light of all of chapters 1 through 11, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, which we just spent a lot of time in if you're reading chapters 1 through 11, to present your bodies. He literally means bodies. Here we are. I've got my body. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Hmm, what does that mean? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is worship, to present our bodies all the time as a living sacrifice. Unlike animal sacrifices, all throughout the Old Testament, they had to be killed. So you got the altar, you got the knife, you got all the fire and everything. Ah, You got a dead animal right there, right? Okay, that's a sacrifice. I mean, thousands, hundreds of thousands of animals were sacrificed. That was God's gracious provision because the wages of our sin is what? Death, and somebody's got to pay that death. And God, in his mercy, says, you're not going to pay that death if you have faith in me. I got this animal that's there to pay for your sin. All throughout the Old Testament, of course, they all pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have to kill animals anymore, but our sins still deserve death. It's the death on the cross once we have faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Amen? Is that good news or what? That's the best news in the universe. Now, since we don't have to kill animals anymore, that's nice. What it, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is worship. Your whole self, everything you do with this body of yours is worship. Everything you do with all the parts of the body, living sacrifice all throughout the day, every day. That's a, that's heavy, isn't it? How, how well are we worshiping God? Okay, so we better do these things. This is, this is our worship throughout the day, everything we do with this body. Next, verse 2, give your mind to God. How do we give our mind completely to God? He says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So again, do not be conformed to the world. And what is the world telling you? The whole world tells you basically one message. It's all about yourself. Every religion, every trap, every addiction, every pain, it comes from this, this philosophy. It was, the, it was the lie that Satan told Eve and deceived her with in the garden, and it's the same one ever since. It's all about yourself. It's the reason for our pride. It's the reason for our bitterness. It's the reason we get mad. It's the reason we hurt people. It's the reason we make dumb choices. This is the lie. Do not be conformed to this world, but how do we fight that? How do we battle that? Being transformed by the renewing of the mind. And how is that? Well, that's what the Bible is for. And it tells us a lot of different ways. It says by the Holy Spirit. It says by, Philippians says by meditating on what is good, right, and beautiful. By meditating on God and and what he calls good and beautiful. That's how we transform our minds. By reading scripture, the Holy Spirit works through our minds transforms us. Paul says by putting off the old things that we used to think about, put on a whole bunch of new things. By filling our minds with scripture, this is the washing of the word. Oh man, this is so cool. So we replace the deadening filth that we used to think about with the life-giving word of God, the power of God's word. Okay, there is the, the bridge between the rich theology of chapters 1 through 11 and now chapters 12 through 16 which gives us all kinds of things in light of all this this is what you do this is who you are this this is who you are this is what you do with your bodies with your minds and then bang read the last chapters of romans and there's all kinds of things and it just makes chapter 12 a masterpiece where does he go first if you just look in your bibles to verses three through eight again You see that Christianity was never meant to be an individual thing. It was always meant to be a group, a church, bought with Jesus' blood, that he called to be his body, his family. So the first things he says after this, what we just opened with, verses 1 and 2, are the spiritual gifts that you use in the church. This is for everybody. Somebody who says, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. What what did the Holy Spirit give you spiritual gifts for? But to build up the church. Now that's a different sermon, verses 3 through 8. I'm going to skip those today and jump right to verses 9 through 15, which tell us how the Holy Spirit empowers us to be in this family, the church, the family that we need. So let's get to it. Let's go through there, and in these verses I find six things that you need to expect in the family of community grace. And the best environment to find all these and to put them into practice is a small group. You can't do it in rows on Sunday mornings. So don't even think about that. We need to get into relationships to obey Christ. And the small group is the best environment to do that. Six things that you need to expect at Community Grace, particularly in a small group, as we are worshiping God. Here we go. If you have your notes, just, you'll start to see the blanks get filled in. Number one is you can expect... You can expect to love and be loved like family. I get this from the first part of verses 9 and 10, which says, let love be genuine, command. In light of all that God loves you, let your love be genuine, 
First part of verse 10, let love one another with genuine affection. Imperative commands, these are not options. When God saves your soul and gives you a new life, he tells you what to do. We love with genuine affection. So here are some things about love. Love develops over time, right? Um, now, some of you may have fallen in love at first sight with your wife or husband. Anybody remember a time like that? I kind of did, honestly. Um, I, the first sight was pretty good. <laughs> I was pretty happy. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that there. Um, but I would say it wasn't, you know, fully committed, devoted love with genuine affection on that first evening. Love develops over time. And most of us did not walk into this church the first time and automatically have love with genuine affection for everybody here, right? And the truth is, some of you still may not feel that kind of love towards people and, and have that love being felt towards you yet. If you can walk away from a church like this right now forever without any feelings of pain or regret, just walk away. There's probably not a lot of love there yet. But this is a command from our Lord. And I'll tell you, it's virtually impossible to ever get there in one hour a week on Sundays sitting side by side and then saying hi on your way out to the car. It just won't ever happen. How do we obey this commandment? We've got to be in the relationships with people as like a family. That's what small groups are there for. Genuine love can only happen in family-like relationships with each other. So I'm going to do this after all six points. Would you just turn to the person next to you and just say this out loud, nice and loud. We're going to love and be loved like family here at Community Grace. Go ahead. All right, we're going to follow Christ and love each other. Let's move quickly. We've got five more to go. This will be great. Number, number two is you can expect good. The second part of verse 9 says, abhor what is evil. Let's hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. You can expect good in a healthy church. We live in a fallen world where there are evil things going on all around us and they affect every single one of us all the time in all kinds of different ways and they beat us down. You know this when you go out of here. Actually, when you're in here too. There's evil all around. Our hearts are wicked. We go out, out into the world. But in light of all that, in, you know, in the face of all that evil, you still know that there is good. You know that there is good. God's common grace is on this world. His spirit is within you if you trusted Jesus. Good still exists. Good is a reflection of our Savior. And so we surround each other with this good, with his good. And our small groups need to be a place where God's goodness is shared freely with each other. The goodness that's in us through, through Christ. And so our small groups, filled with good, it's, they're a place to regroup and refresh and be encouraged. Share the good of Jesus. And you can expect good in our small groups. So say to the person next to you, we share good here. All right. Now, in print, that looks like bad grammar, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's the good. We share the good of Christ here. Number three, you can expect 
respect. Because we've been commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of all kings. The second part of verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. We have a lot of fun with this verse in our house. I can tell you, as a father of six kids, the flesh does not automatically do this. Not at all. We do not choose naturally to outdo each other in showing respect and honor. No, what are we, we want all the respect and honor for ourselves, right? Jesus is turning that upside down. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. So to train our kids in that as they're fighting and being selfish, I've often said, when you're walking through a door and you both, you know, coming into the door at the same time, say to each other, Oh, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, I insist. You go first. No, no, no. You go ahead and go first. No, please, please be my guest. You go first. And we go through this dance, and you never go through the door. <laughs> and that's what a great illustration of, of the way we should live all the time. Outdo one another. No, no, you have to go first so I can outdo you. We take our share of disrespect every day at home and school and work. And sometimes we give it. But it's enough to break your spirit sometimes. But a healthy church in a relational environment is going to outdo each other in showing good and showing honor and respect. Oh, man. What a great environment. What a great blessing from God. The reason we do that is because we Christians understand, and of all people, we understand that every person and we talk about Heartline Pregnancy Center, and we, we understand that every person has infinite value because we're all made in the image of God. We're all image bearers of God. That's where our value comes from. And so who deserves respect and honor? Every human. Everyone. You can expect respect in a small group of people who are following Christ. So say to your neighbor, you can expect respect here. Oh, the flesh is strong. We can't do these things on our own power. That's why we pray, and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do them. And when we succeed, what a witness we are to the world. Now, there's, there's no group of people like a healthy church that are following Christ. Nothing like that in the world. So, let's continue in our small groups. Number four, you can expect the best actions in the world the best actions in the world verse 11 says do not be slothful in zeal now there's there's poetry right there slothful in zeal but be fervent in spirit serve the lord let's talk about these actions first here's a picture of a sloth isn't he so cute everybody loves the sloth the, one, the thing about sloths is they sleep for 22 hours a day. Did you know that? 22 hours a day. Is there any wonder why Paul uses this animal as our reference point? Do not be slothful in good actions, in zeal. Here's how they really are in real life. The guy falls asleep before he even crosses the road. Do not be slothful in your good actions in the world. Wow. The flesh wants to be lazy. 
doesn't want to take risks, doesn't want to, you know, do the work of actually planning, you know, to get out and do good, good actions and, and making it happen, but our small groups do Hebrews 10, 24, stir one another up, it's one of the one another's, it's one of my favorite ones, stir one another up to love and good works. What good works are they? The best good works in the world, those which glorify God and lead people to Christ and help and serve and build people up. You can expect the best actions. These are the best actions in the world. It's an awesome privilege to serve a king. How about the king of kings? And so, yeah, I mean, Dave, our, our guest here, presented us an opportunity to raise money, get exercise, and eat donuts all at the same time. Uh, these are the best actions in the world. I'm going to play off of that one too, Dave. We're looking forward to that event and the cause for that. Blessing the world, bringing all the best things in the world by us being fervent in spirit and serving the Lord. This is what our small groups do. So here's how, here's how um, our church is doing this. This next slide gives us some goals. These are grace and action goals. You may have purchased one of these shirts. They've just been for sale in the last couple months. I would encourage everybody. We've got all sizes. Uh, you can buy them in the office for 10 bucks. What does it say on the front of it? Community, grace in action. Excellent. So some goals that we have set are that the church on the bigger events will do 10, at least 10 grace in action events, like soccer camp is one, trunk or treat, those kind of things out in the community. We've done lots of those. 10 each year on a whole church level. And then in the small groups, that each small group would do one grace in action outreach service project of some kind per semester. Those are some goals. Would you say to your neighbor, we will not be slothful here? Awesome. Uh-uh. Jesus people. Number five, you can expect the power of hope and prayer. And oh, the power that is in these things. Hope and prayer. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. If you meditate on this, you have the power to rejoice no matter what the circumstances is, are because of hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And again, remember, these are instructions to the church. We rejoice in the hope that we have meaning and that God is good. And that we really mean something to someone. Of course, we have hope that this is not all there is in life. That there's an eternal life. We share a hope that no matter what tribulation comes our way, it says we can be patient in it. No matter what the enemy tries to do, we can endure it with Christ. Amen? Amen. And, but we need each other. This was never meant to do alone. And we can't. So we stand for one another in those things. We stand for one another in prayer. God answers our prayer. Look, I, I want people to pray for me. Pray for your pastor. I've come to believe that. Paul is unabashed in the way he asks for prayers. Ephesians 6, 9, he says, Pray for also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In 2 Thessalonians, he adds, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as is happening among you elsewhere. And that we may be, pray for us, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Praying for your pastor benefits me and you. I believe that and I ask for that. But this is for everyone. 
everyone. Our prayers for each other. And so another, another prayer goal that we have in our small groups is that your small group members will be praying for each other every week. Oh, that's, there's power there. And so say to your neighbor right now, we will rejoice in hope and pray for each other here. And number six, you can expect to give and receive mutual care. Verse 13, and as I've meditated on this one and studied it this week, wow, this is neat what, what Paul does here. Look at the two things that this verse includes and how they relate to each other. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We need to see how these two work together. Contribute to the needs of the saints, that's the people within the church, and show hospitality, that's the people outside of the church. I've said this before, the word hospitality literally means love for strangers. So he's putting these two things together, take care of all the needs of the people in the church, continue to show love for the people outside of the church, and help take care of their needs. And this is helpful for me to understand. This is the same principle as tithing, as giving to the church. One of the most powerful forms of worship is to give. It keeps our idols of money and security in check. We give. Now God commands that in his church we are either giving, returning 10% of what he has provided us to his church, or receiving from our church because we are in need of help. Both are fine. We will go through life in both occasions. We'll be in a position to give. We'll be in a position to receive when we need help. Both are blessing. Both are blessings to God. And if we aren't giving or receiving, we're robbing God. The same is true for hospitality. We must be willing to practice hospitality, that's the love of strangers, by both being willing hosts to bring people into our homes, our church, our small groups, our relationships, our circle of friends who are different than us, and we must be willing guests and go out where people are, even though it's inconvenient or we may not like it. But this is how God builds loving Christian communities. This is how God creates fellowship among fellow image bearers. And this is how God eases the pain of orphanhood. By us going out and being hospitable, by us receiving in. How God eases the pain of widowhood. Eases the pain of loneliness. Eases the pain of prisoners can't go out but we can visit and on and on and on and this is one of the most powerful witnesses to the world around us as we choose to be hospitable and to care for each other who don't deserve it because we're following Christ one question in small groups over the years is should we reach out to unbelievers and bring unbelievers in our small groups and that's it's a fun question to wrestle around and I'm just going to say overall the principle I follow is yes because what better environment is there to bring somebody who's 
exploring spiritual things than in a small group where they're seeing all of this. By this they will know that we are his disciples, our love for one another. Powerful thing. I say yes, it's a, it's a great environment for them to be in a Jesus-loving, truth-proclaiming, mutually caring small group. So say to, say to your neighbor right now, we will give and receive care to each other. All right, so I'm going to end with verse 15. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This is an independent, there's not a point associated with it. What I, what I see in verse 15, I have used this verse, I have seen this verse as kind of a simple picture of all of Christian relationships. You can boil it down all to this. There is so much to rejoice over in life. There is so much to, to weep over and struggle through in life. This is the essence of Christian com community. We don't do any of it alone. We do it with each other. We should... The small groups give us the family that we need. I'm going to ask... We have 14 small groups uh, launching this week, and many of them are open, which means that they still have room for more people, uh, as the you know, house can only hold so many, so that's when we say full, you know. Um, but the open ones, they're open. They literally want more people in their group so it can become full. So if you're not in one yet, I encourage you to get in one today, this week, fill out that slip that you have on the chairs. Those are the, the open groups that remain. If you can't, listen, if you can't come this week, come next week. If you can't come next week, come the week after. If you can, I, I've seen this play out over the years. People say, well, I can only, I, I, I'll miss like half of them, so I'm just not going to be in any of them. Think about that logic for a second. I can only make half, so I, I just choose zero. Please don't do that. Expectations are everything. If you can only make half of them, all you have to do is tell the leader, look, I've got a busy travel schedule or soccer schedule or whatever it is. I can only make half. And as long as the group knows that, they will be thrilled at the half that you are there for. Do you understand how important it is just to be in Christian community as much as you possibly can? And so of the 14 small groups, some are co-led, that's uh, 16, 18, 20 leaders. If you are leading or co-leading a small group right now, I just want to honor you and thank you for, for doing the work, not being slothful and zeal. Would you stand up, please, our small group leaders and co-leaders right now? Go ahead, stand up. And would you just give them a hand, not for them, but for, for God's glory. Wow, they all sit in the front. I got to take note of that. Okay. Uh, let me tell you about the, the plan for this fall. First of all, why do we do an all-church series each fall? We did this last year. We're, we're going to do it every fall. Here's a few reasons. One, it's not just the small groups and the sermons that are going to be all together. This kids' ministry is going to have a forgiveness element, the youth ministry. I mean, for these weeks, these six, seven weeks, um, everyone's going to be on the same topic. It, it gives momentum to the church. Everybody's on the same page. It stimulates conversations in your relationships, small groups, families, with your kids, with your grandparents. Uh, there's a lot of benefit to this, to all being on the same page as a church. And it's just for this season, and then all the small groups and everybody 
uh, really knows each other, so after this is over, you know exactly what your group needs to do next, and all the groups go off in, in, on their own directions. It's great. Why forgiveness? Why the topic of forgiveness? A couple basic reasons. Uh, one, I've been through this material with two different small groups, and I, I've seen very, very few things, if anything, that so radically transforms and frees people's lives. Um, theologically and practically, experientially, I've seen amazing things. This is some great material. The sermons are going to kind of correspond with the material, but this is a journey through Scripture. Uh, it's just exquisite. It's amazing. So get into the groups and experience that. Forgiveness, we've been using this quote from Neil Anderson. He says, uh, after helping thousands find their freedom in Christ, I can testify that unforgiveness is the major reason people remain in bondage. And as I've explored that, it's because people offend us every day on a small level or a massive level. Now, how do we respond to that? Of course, we offend people as well and hurt people as well. And so we go through life with this bondage that just doesn't go away on its own. There is freedom. There is so much joy. There is amazing theology. There is delightful application in going through the topic of forgiveness through God's word. God is going to do amazing things in this church. I believe it. I'm going to close there, and I'm going to close with the promo video from Bruce Wilkinson, the teacher of this curriculum. I'm going to uh, play that two-minute video, and then Tristan will come up and close the service. God bless you and, and in your homes and small groups this year.